Through him we've received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let me pray for us and for Graham, and uh, and then he'll come and share with us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come with humility before you as we uh, seek to, to learn and be perhaps reminded or maybe explore for the first time about this good news. Father, I pray that uh, as Graham comes to speak and share with us, Lord, that we would be um, we would be listening for what you might be saying as your words opened up. Father, I pray that our time together it would be it would be your time, and you would speak from your word to your people for your glory through your servant in Jesus' name. Well, good evening. It's just need to say that it's a real pleasure to come to my own church and preach. Uh, usually we're off somewhere out of sight, nobody sees us, but it's nice to be here this Sunday. And it's great that the Sunday nights have started again. That's uh, special. And uh, I think that it's a great possibility to get loads of people in, pack them in on a Sunday night. Young people, I think we need to pray especially. We'll get a lot of the teenagers and young people in on a Sunday night. Um, but uh, I'm so excited that it's that I can't always be here myself. I love coming on a Sunday night, but with my wife being ill, uh, if I'm out in the morning, I should really stay in an evening and we have a little service in our home, just so she gets some and off the internet. And so we listen to some great preachers. Uh, uh, on Billy Graham is one of our favourites and uh, different folk like that. Uh, Charles Price, who's actually coming to Cape and Ray, uh, should be there maybe now, I don't know, but he's coming for the staff conference, which is in two weeks' time. 
uh, I was able to see Chris and Bonnie Thomas uh, yesterday afternoon. They called around and we had a tremendous time together. And they come over for the uh, for the conference as well. Um, so I've been given the title, What is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? And um, the word simply means glad tidings, you know, or good news. It's sometimes translated in some Bible. And it is. I mean, let's face it. it is the, it's not just good news. It's not just great news. It's the very best news that man could ever hear, you know. It's, uh, it's uh, a message that uh, God wants to go right round the world. And the thrilling thing, and I hope that you'll come feel part of it, that he wants people like you and people like me to be community cases of the good news and to take it about. And um, I, I want to look at this chapter one just to select things that are related to our topic. And um, I want to give as my key verse, verse 16, words of the Apostle Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. Of everyone who believes. And um, this is the first thing I would like to put about the gospel. Is about its relevance. It, It deals effectively with the greatest problem we have in this world, on this planet. That, that, that's what it does. It's good news to everybody because it deals with the problem of evil. Uh, which, if only we could get evil out of our world, it would be a better world. But of course, we see that it's in every nation, every person, and it's wrecking homes, wrecking lives. And uh, the, obviously, people have tried to find a remedy. Um, the philosophers tried and failed. They offered many solutions, uh, but uh, they haven't stopped corruption. Um, and evil. Colossians 2.23 is a chapter on the uh, philosophers of that day and these are the words that it says in 2.23. These rules may be seen wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-discipline and severe bodily discipline. And then there's a but. But they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. That's the problem. It can't deal with this problem of evil and the evil desires that we all know everyone gets them. There's not one person in this uh, room, this auditorium, or whatever we're going to call it tonight, who hasn't had evil desires. I've had evil desires, and they're wrong. Uh, and and there's, there's nothing other than the gospel that can deal with it. Politicians have failed. They've tried to deal with the problem of evil, and uh, um, the um, legislation simply has failed. Uh, they've made many great efforts to reform society, but our jails are more fuller than ever. There is corruption in every strata of society. The business world, the sports world, doping, fixing matches, corruption in the business world, it's everywhere in society. Uh, and the politicians, with all their efforts, uh, have only got another problem. Our jails are getting too, too small. There are too many people in jail. And we need bigger jails. 
So obviously the politicians by legislation have not been able to deal with this problem. Um, and then, of course, one of the great beliefs was that education would be the answer to the problem. Many believed that education was, particularly in the 1920s and upward in, in that time, uh, it, it was the educated that, that would be able to um, be stopped doing evil. Men like H.J. Wells were committed to that view, but after two world wars, in his final book before he died, he wrote the last book, Mind at the End of Its Tether. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I think, put it rightly when he said, with all our education, we have only become more clever devils. And that's true. You go to any, you, you know, go to a university, go on the campus and see what's going on there. And the lives, drug taking, uh, sex misused, uh, and uh, there is a lot of corruption in our universities. Education has failed. But there is tremendous news for mankind. The gospel has stopped evil wherever it's been proclaimed and followed. Evil has stopped. Drug addicts have thrown away needles. Drunkards have turned from drink. After the Welsh revival, pubs had to close down. Men have turned from darkness to light. Like the crooked tax collector, they turned to be people of righteousness and integrity. And history has proved it. You read the stories of missionaries who have gone out there in some of the wildest places and started preaching the gospel. And uh, evil stopped. And people start doing what is right in their lives, uh, wherever it's gone. Um, the gospel has done the greatest world-changing good. So um, that's one of the reasons I'm not ashamed of it. It works. It stops evil. Um, and then the second reason that I want to give you here is what it says in verse 2. Let me just read verse chapter 1. Sorry, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostle, set apart... For the gospel of God. The gospel of God. We're asking the question, what is the gospel? Well, there you have a definition. It's the gospel of God. It's not man message that is brought out. This comes right from the very heart of God. This is God speaking to his creation. God wanting to work in men and women's lives. Uh, and uh, it comes from the creator and sustainer of the universe. It is the most vital, relevant message. Nothing, nothing in this world is more important for a human being than to hear the gospel and then to follow its teaching. Um, it um, is the gospel of God. It's God speaking. It's God's message. John Stott said, it's God's own good news for a lost world. Without this conviction... Evangelism is evacuated uh, from its content and purpose and drive. I think we need to get, again, there's nothing more thrilling than when I go out, you know, just a weak preacher, nothing special. 
But when I go out and look at the congregation, I, I see that I, I've seen it more and more the older I get as well, that I've got a message from God to give to men and women and boys and girls. He is the source of the gospel. It is a gospel of God. And then the content, another reason, what is the gospel? Well, it says in verse uh, 3, regarding his son. The gospel is all about Jesus. He's the good news. And um, I think it was uh, Calvin that rightly said, the whole gospel is contained in Christ. Again, John Stott said, the highest of all missionary motives is neither the obedience to the Great Commission, important as that is, nor the love for sinners who are perishing, but for rather zeal, burning passionate zeal for the glory of Jesus Christ. Christ is the center of the gospel. Christ is the heart of the gospel. I remember the first time I ever preached at Cape and Ray. Many years, I was only a very youngster, uh, about 200 teenagers in, so I was extremely nervous as I looked at the you know, 200 young folk looking at me. And I, I tried my best, it was my first message ever there. I don't know what I said, I can't remember a word of what I said that day, but to my horror, just as I was going to start to preach in through the door, walking right down towards me to sit on the front seat was Major Ian Thomas. Uh, and he, of course, is one of the great, great preachers of uh, his day. And I was so, you know, it blew me. <laughs> what am I going to do? There's Major. And then he got up after I'd finished and he said, Graham, I'll take you home. I only lived four miles away from Cape and Ray and he was going to drive me home. So I got in the car and I thought, I'm going to get in first. So I said, this is what I said to him. I remember clearly what I said. I said, Major, I'm just on the bottom rung of the ladder learning to preach. You've been preaching all your life. Have you any advice that you could give to me? And I've never forgot his answer. This is what he said. Graham, and he would speak to you like that. He said, Graham, when you preach, preach Christ. And when you preach Christ, preach Christ. And when you preach Christ, preach Christ. That's all you need to know. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, But but how true... In fact, uh, many years later, I went um, to uh, uh, Ravencrest in America, where the wife of uh, um, Major Ian Thomas uh, uh, lived. Major had gone to glory at this time, but uh, his wife was there, and she invited me for bacon and eggs. She said, I'm going to give you a real British breakfast as you've come. And we sat there, and I remember she, she said, I've had a letter, she said. And it was from a lady, she, she was in her 60s or 70s, about that age, and she said, you know, when she wrote saying that when she was a little girl, she went to hear Major preach, and she didn't know what she would do, so she just said, I'm going to count how many times he says Jesus in his message. And she counted it, there was 53 times he said Jesus, and that day that little girl gave her heart to Christ, and she wrote many years later to write this letter to Mrs. Thomas to say that that's... But, you know, that advice that I was giving, preach Christ, it makes sense. The more I've thought about it, you know, in the book of Ephesians, it gives a great statement. This is the statement. It says, uh, let me just read Ephesians 1, 3, uh, and I'll give you it. Uh, um, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that's basically that, that verse is said, all the blessings that there are, all the blessings that God's got, if you want to find them, go to Christ. They're all there. He has for me when I go and preach. I, 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 it does make it easy because I know I've just got one message. I might use a different part of scripture, but it's just Jesus. Preach Christ. Because all the blessings, if, if, if at the end of the day people are going to go out and say I was blessed, then it, it would only be if I'd been able to point them to Christ. And if you, I'd say tonight, if anybody here is maybe not yet a Christian, can I do what I'm called to do? And that's just point you to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, commit your life to me. And he will give you all all the blessings of forgiveness, all the blessings of peace with God, all the blessings of heaven, and all the blessings of his life being in you. A a great verse. Uh, uh, You know, we're looking at what is the gospel. Well, Paul in in the book of Colossians chapter 1 tells us what he preached. So I I was always interested in hearing, what does Paul preach, you know? And in that chapter, uh, in the book of Colossians, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ coming to live in a man. That's what the gospel is. It's a living Christ indwelling a life with his life, with his power, with his love, with his joy. There's nothing better than that could happen to a human being. So number one reason why the gospel is great is because, because it deals with the greatest problem. This is what Christ did. He dealt with sin. He set man free from sin. He breaks the power of cancel sin. He sets the prisoner free. That's what Christ does. But also, he comes in and shares his life. He comes in to our hearts, right into the center of our being. That's what a Christian is. Somebody who's got Christ right in the core, right in the center of the life. And he is the one that's doing the work. He's transformed. Some people say to me, I'd be a Christian, but I could never keep it up. And I say to them, well, don't worry, you don't have to. That's God's work. He'll keep it up inside you. He'll live and share his life with you. Um, you will be, as it says in Romans 10, you, um, sorry, Romans 5, you will be saved. How? By his life. By his life. And those who are struggling in the battle of life If they're struggling, the reason is they haven't discovered the indwelling life of Christ. Christ wants to so live through us that we'll be victorious and that we'll have a life to share. That's good news. That's the best. You know, we have done a lot of soccer schools and have loads of children come to the soccer schools over the years. And one of the greatest joys of my heart doing those soccer schools, I believe that if a child opens his heart to Christ, it'll be the greatest thing that could ever happen to him. He, come, he becomes a, be, you know, a better son at home. It's different. I know when I became a Christian, there was a tremendous change in my behavior at home. It was a fight with my brother like nothing. But Christ changed all that. And uh, Christ can absolutely, and I think of these children coming along to the soccer schools and 
and, and, and nothing better could happen to them. Nothing better in all the world could ever happen to a child who opens his life and Christ is the greatest good. And he becomes a better man as he grows up. He becomes a person who will bring so much to society. He'll bring, you know, we're not saved by good works, but when you become a Christian, you just want to do them. You just want to do them. You just want to help. Hand here, there. What can I do with my life and make it available for Christ to live through you? That's the greatest thing you could do with your life. And uh, I remember one day I went into Stuart Briscoe's office when I was a youngish man, and I remember Stuart saying this to me. I've never forgotten. He said, Graham, the measure of success that you will ever be as a Christian will be the extent that you will let Christ live in you. Never forgotten that. And it's true, isn't it? And I could say it to your life tonight, the measure of success that you will be as a Christian will be the extent that you allow the living Christ to live in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So um, that's the gospel. Christ himself coming into your being. Born of God. The life of God in the soul of man, as Wesley put it. And uh, that is what the gospel is. It's not something that man does to your life. It's something what God himself does. He begins, you become a new creation. A new life is there. And uh, that is what the gospel does. So, as Calvin said, the whole gospel is contained in Christ, being in union with Christ. Letting him live in you and you live in him. In him. It's the power of God for salvation. And now, um, I'd like to look a little bit about the messenger here, the one who has got to communicate the gospel, because that's our task now. We've got to pass it on to this generation. We desperately need a whole army of young men, old men. You're never too old to serve the Lord. You're never too young. We can all serve once Christ has come into our life. And uh, we have been given the tremendous privilege to be an ambassador of the gospel. So, um, uh, here Paul in this uh, session uh, section says um, in verse 8, let me say first that I thank my God through Christ Jesus for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. Man, they were buzzing. The Christians in Rome were so full of this wonderful gospel, people were talking about them all over the world. That's what the scripture says. They were making an impact. Their enthusiasm, their love to get the gospel to men and women and boys and girls was buzzing in their hearts. And, And that's what was going on. But the thing that I'd like to point, you know, about the messenger, I think that Paul has got some words here that really express what, why he was the man that he was. Listen to what he said. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son. There you have it, the gospel of his son. And what does Paul say? He said, I put my whole heart in it. I, I, I'm an enthusiastic 
person, really. I, I, I really put in my whole being. I'm not half-hearted. I am totally wholehearted about this glorious gospel. Now, I want to ask you a question. Is that a description of your life? Paul said, I'm a servant of the Lord and I'm putting my whole heart into the gospel. And I thank God through Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with all my heart in preaching the gospel of his son. We need this, don't we, today? If we're going to get the job done, if we're going to reach this community, if we're going to go further afield, which I'm sure we, you know, got the vision to do that. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it if we're wholehearted, absolutely flat out for the gospel. We've got to get excited about it again. It's whatever, what has been used greatly to change hearts. So thankful that Billy Graham came to England in the early 50s and went to Haringey Arena. And what did he do? I mean, there was tremendous work. Well, he simply preached the gospel of Jesus. You, I, we've been listening to his messages at home, but it's all the Christ-centered. He keeps preaching for men and women to come to Christ. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seats, hundreds of you, and I want you to come down and commit your life to Christ. And they sing just as I am as they're coming down forwards, and people are flocked in these big arenas that we had uh, during that uh, crusade. And uh, you listen to Billy's message, there's nothing half-hearted. There's nothing half-hearted. He was one of our greatest evangelists that we've ever had. He's led more people to Christ than any other man that's ever lived. And his passion, because he had a passion in his heart. I put my whole heart in it, Paul said. I'm not half-hearted. And uh, I think that's a challenge to us all. I think, you know, we all need to say, you know, light a, a flame that it burn in my heart for the gospel. So he was a man of total commitment. And secondly, he was a man of prayer. One of the things I always pray for, he says in this chapter, is, for, is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you, for I long to see you so I can bring some spiritual gift that will help you to grow strong. Now notice this phrase, strong in the Lord. What was he preaching? What, he wanted them to be strong, but how were they going to be strong? Note that little phrase again, in the Lord. What does it mean? It means in union with the Lord. You can do it in union with Christ. You can become stronger than you've ever been as a Christian if you learn the simple principle that by faith you let Christ indwell your life. Uh, and, um, and so Paul was, was a, a, a man of prayer. I always pray for you, he said. And I think that that um, is very important. If we want enthusiasm, if we want to see the gospel spread I would say there's no better thing that you could do than pray. Pray. I think when, he, again, forgive me for quoting Billy, but I've just been listening to him of late, so I've got a few quotes from him. But one of the things from Billy, he would say that there's three vital things 
for a crusade to be a blessing to touch countless lives. And these are the three. Number one, prayer. Number two, prayer. Number three, prayer. That's what we've got to do. If we really want to change the tide and to see a tide move to virtually a revival across our land, it'll be done through prayer. And that was Paul. He obviously was, as you read through his life, he was a man of prayer. And he's a man of great love. He said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift and make you strong. Um, one of the, I think one of the most important things for wanting our cold hearts to touch lives is to ask God to fill it with love, which is a fruit of the Spirit. If you've got love in your heart that compels you, you'll be able to touch many lives for Christ. Love is key. Prayer is important. Love is key. And of course, commitment is important. So there's some of the things. But um, I want to come to this verse that I've given as the key verse. Uh, in fact, I'm going to talk about the three I ams of the Apostle Paul. Uh, preachers often preach on the I ams of Christ. And they're a great series. But I want to preach, finish by preaching about the three I ams of the Apostle Paul. And... Um, he said the first one, I am obl- obligated, or in the uh, AV, I think it uses the word, I'm a debtor. I'm in debt. We were playing um, the um, postman in one of our outreach matches here. And I thought, what can I say to these postmen? And uh, I thought, oh, I know. One of them came to our house. Uh, knocked on the door, put through the letterbox. Uh, oh, he opened up. It was a bill from the electricity board. I owed, I can't remember, maybe £80 electricity bill. I thought, phew, I'm going to get that this month. And then he came again two or three days later. And he, uh, it was another, I opened it out. It was my gas bill. And both coming in the same week. And, I, and, I, and so I, I, I told them, I said, hey, you, I don't know which one of you guys that, that brought me those letters, but thank you very much, Mr. Postman. Uh, and then I said, but I'm, a, I'm in debt. I owe. I owe. And then I said, but do you know, I'm in debt to you guys. I have had a glorious day in my life when Jesus Christ became my saviour. And, and, and God has done a wonderful work in my heart and I want to pass it on to you because he wants to do one in your heart just the same. It's no secret what God can do, what he's done for others he can do for you. I'm a debtor. I owe it to you to pass on. And that's what Paul is saying. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, let me give you another quote, a quote of the great doctor. He said, if you, and if you only realised fully the state and condition of men and women of thousands around us, I think we would be unable to sleep. Do you believe and know that unbelievers, the person who dies unbelieving and is in sin, goes to hell? Not many people preach on hell nowadays, do they? You know? But um, I was in the town, I think on Saturday, and uh, a guy 
came up to, I was stood next to the Salvation Army man, and he started speaking. He said, uh, he said, I've just been, I've got cancer, I've got cancer uh, in the skin here, and he showed it, and a horrible growth in his skin. He said, I've got ca- prostate cancer as well. And he said, I've got and then another cancer, I forgot what that was, but he said three cancers. And I said, you know, there's something worse than that. There's a disease worse than cancer. I said, it's sin. And uh, he said, oh, well, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, they begin to wobble a bit. And, uh, but seeking to say something relevant to him, he, he told, told me he was 88 years of age. And I said, well, can you tell me uh, whether you're going to go to heaven when you die? And he said, well, uh, you know, I hope so. And I said, well, there's two options. You can either go to heaven or you can go to hell. And Jesus is the only one who can give you absolute certainty to go to heaven. You need to trust Christ. And we don't speak about hell. I know it's not a nice subject. I know, you know, you think it might put people off. But Jesus spoke about hell more than he did about heaven. We can learn a lot from the Lord Jesus. Knowing the terror of the Lord, Paul said, we persuade men. And, um, and so um, we're debtors to people. If only we were going on with that quote, sorry I left it, the person who dies unbelieving and is in sin goes to hell. Well, if you really believe that, there will be a sense of constraint in our lives. I looked up a good old Wesleyan hymn. And this is what Charles Wesley, a charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, and never dying soul to save and fitted for the sky. Um, and so Paul says, I've got this obligation that I know the way to heaven. This poor gentleman who has got cancer in that particular case, doesn't know the way to heaven, I'm obliged to tell him. Uh, and that's what Paul says, I have got an obligation. The second that I am uh, is this, I'm eager already. Verse 15, that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you that are in Rome. He's basically saying, I- I'm on my tiptoes. I must go. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel, he said. Can I ask you, have you got that eagerness that Paul had? The passion to go and share the good news of Jesus. Uh, he said, I'm eager. Uh, and of course, we know in his life that that's what he burnt his life out doing telling boys and girls, men and women, the good news of the gospel. And then the last one, I, he said, I am obligated, I am eager. And then he said this, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Uh, And um, I just listed, jotted some reasons why Paul said he's not ashamed. Number one, it's good news. We should never be ashamed of the gospel because we're telling something good. It's exciting news for a person to hear. 
And uh, so that's the first. Uh, again, Lloyd-Jones said it's the most wonderful and astounding news message that a man could ever hear. Secondly, it's God's message to the world. That's the great work that we're doing and sharing the gospel. We're, we're working together with God. We can't do it on our own, but it's a working together with God, spreading this good news to the men and women that God so loves and wants to reach. Um, it's uh, relevant to every person. That's the other reason I put. A lot of people don't believe that the gospel is relevant for them, but it is relevant to every living being on this planet. It's relevant to the wise, the foolish, the unwise. It's relevant to all people with all needs. Basically, all man's real needs can be found in the gospel. Uh, So um, he's not ashamed of it because he's knowing he's got good news to pass on. It is the one and only means for salvation. Now that's so very important to grasp that. There's no other way. There is no other name given amongst men whereby we must be saved. There is only one way that a man can possibly be saved for all eternity. It's through the cross, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. So... um, we should never be ashamed. We're pointing them to the one and only answer. It's powerful because it can achieve all that is promised. There's not a power that can stop it working. If God be for us, who can be against us? Satan's power is crushed by a greater power. Greater is he that is in you than in the world. The gospel's powerful. I remember preaching just a few weeks ago on the football field there. And the guy was mocking. Mocking me. You know, he was with his mates and they were all buzzing around. And I just stopped while I was preaching and I looked at him in the eye and I said, don't mock God. Just like that. And he went quiet. I said, sorry, Graham, sorry. We have an authority in the gospel to speak to men and women and boys and girls. And, um, and we need to speak with authority. I think we've lost a bit of authority in the church in, in England. We've lost that. Speaking directly, challenging people directly to come to Christ and saying this, like Billy, you used to go and Billy again, forgive me, the Bible says. How many times did he say that? You, next time you hear Billy Graham, You've just taken note of how many times it says the Bible says. But what he's saying? He's saying, there's my authority. It's the word of God. The Bible says. And so um, Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Um, There's a great theologian by the name of Denny who said this. It's a stupendous force that makes bad men good men. And it's for everyone who, who believes There's hope for everybody. Uh, Rich, poor, young, old, educated, the most vile and the most respectable all need it equally. Everyone needs it. You cannot save yourself. Jesus says, go to all creation 
and tell them the good news. Finally, Paul is not ashamed because of what it produces. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Let me, as we come to an end, simply explain what he's trying to say there. What does it bring? Well, first of all, when somebody becomes a Christian, the first thing that happens is God obviously takes away our sin. All of it. He paid the price for everybody's salvation. And so anybody who comes to him with their sin, truly repenting from it, he will save them. He will save them. Without a shadow of doubt, it can be completely... Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They're going to be saved if they call on his name. And and, um, then what happens next? Takes the sin away, yes, completely. Buried in the deep, you see, that's good enough for me. Completely takes it away. There's not a stain in your life. Everything you've ever done wrong has been completely forgiven. Yes. But what else does he do? Well, he imparts to your credit of your life the perfect righteousness of Christ. You get that. You are made as righteous as Christ in God's sight. That's, that's, that's why if you have a quiet time in the morning, you can boldly go into God's presence. And don't feel you've got to hold back. That you want. He will listen to you. He, he, will, he will be glad to meet you. Because he doesn't see the sin. He sees the perfect righteousness imputed to your life. And uh, through faith. You've just got to trust him. That's what he'll do for you. Imputes righteousness by faith. So, something that does that. Listen. I, I'm not sure of the gospel. In fact, I'm very proud of it. I'm very excited about it. I'm very thrilled that God could use a weak vessel like me in passing it out. I hope that tonight it's been an encouragement to you. Um, We must preach this gospel. We must preach it with love, of course, and warmth. I think worse than somebody preaching the gospel without warmth and love for the people. We should preach it with authority We should peruse the Bible in our preaching. We should uh, speak with urgency. We should ask for a verdict. You know, I I, I had to sometimes take students out from Cape and Ray and and sometimes they'd say, well, look, you can do the message today. And I remember once I did that and at the end the lad said something like this. Well, uh, that's that's my testimony. Think about it, he said. And I said, you're not doing the right thing. You don't just leave them to think about it. You call them to a verdict. You say, now this is what you have to do. You've got to repent and believe in, in the gospel. And uh, so, so um, and sp- speak expectantly. God can use you to bring somebody to Christ. You don't have to be strong. Most of us are very weak, weak vessels. 
but with his strength, his power, his life, flowing through our hearts to that dear person who by love we're trying to draw them to Christ, we can be used by God. And this church, you know, I say Sunday night, we could fill it, we could fill it, and this isn't... We don't want to fill it with people coming from the church over there to join us and the perch over there to join us. We want to see converts joining the church. New ones. Who have given their life to Christ because you've talked to them. And you've not been ashamed of the gospel. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. I'm going to Rome. It was a very evil, a very evil, dangerous. I think it was, uh, uh, what's the name of uh, I have the name somewhere in here. And then, uh, I'll just, just give you that. But the, the um, Claudius, he was emperor about this time. He, was, he, he, he didn't like Christians. And then, after Claudius died, the next emperor was Nero, 64 AD. And we know what an evil man he was. He threw Christians, many of them, to death. And put them in his garden, set them on fire. It wasn't easy being a Christian in Rome. But these, these, this, these Christians were full. And you read about those days in, in the early Roman Empire and the Christians, you'll be amazed at the courage and the, the blessing that they were. And there was obviously what happened, the church, which this letter's written to, there was a church that had been born from these brave, bold Christians. So um, that's... Uh, is uh, the messenger, and that I hope you've got what is the message. What's your message? Christ. Preach Christ. When you preach Christ, preach Christ. And when you preach Christ, preach Christ. Keep talking about Jesus, the centrality of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We pray that we'll never be ashamed of the gospel in our generation. We pray that we'll be eager to tell it. We'll be keen Christians. We'll be excited that God is going to use our weakness to tell many the good news of Jesus. Thank you for all those who are going to be saved and blessed. Father, if there's anybody here tonight listening to this final prayer, listen, if you're not yet a Christian, can I encourage you this very night to give your heart to Christ? Ask Christ to come and save you tonight, and he will. Lord, I pray for anybody in this group who calls upon you, even now, saying, Lord, save me, you'll save them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.